This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Well, clearly y'all are responding to the information that we have been putting up about blockchain and NFT. So we just went right ahead and got the experts on board here. You're going to want to join us for this interview with music attorney Will Lewis, Rick Wells, and... Edwin McCain. These guys are the experts on art in blockchain, and we're going to go even deeper down, guys. Welcome to the climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music industry. That's what you're going to need to get ahead now, folks. Long gone are the days when it's just all about your talent and some big corporation comes in and develops you out of nothing. You want to come to the table with proof in the pudding that your art has value, that you know what you're doing. That's how you're going to get all those things you want. You got to have leverage. That's why we called it the climb, creating leverage in the music business. That's a Baxternum. It's brilliant. And it was created by my co-host and good friend, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's also a hit songwriter with cuts by, <laughs> excuse me, Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got a couple number ones last year. And what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro, and on the regular, he's going to get you in front of the pros to help you create a relationship and climb that ladder. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. That's all right, Johnny. I get a little choked up when I think about Alan Jackson cutting my songs, too. <laughs> I would like to introduce you all to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs. Just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production singular. No S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm excited for this one. And I know you could probably cut glass. I'm excited. Right now. So... My nipples are hard. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm extremely excited to have this brain power on the show with us today. But listen, before we get to these interviews, let's take care of a little business first. As always, we're super grateful to be one of the flagship shows on American Songwriter Magazine's podcast network. You can find us there if you've been a climber for a bunch of years and you've followed us over to the podcast network. Please check out some of those other shows. They're fantastic. And if you discovered us through the podcast network, welcome to The Climb, right? So right. we want you to join The Climb community on Facebook. It's a thriving community, singers, songwriters, indie artists, indie musicians. We're getting great co-write connections there that, are, that have turned out to be prosperous. Lots of marketing questions and promotion questions being asked and tossed around. And lots of inspiration, but from the community, man. So join that. You got to ask to be let in, but we let everybody in. And there's just a couple rules you got to follow. And as long as you follow those, you won't be roadhoused out. Right, Brent? We got any wins? That's right. 
We don't spam, we jam. And right. every Wednesday, we like to celebrate our wins, big or small. We love them all. We have a post called New Heights, and we encourage you to post your wins as a comment there so we know where to find them, we know where to celebrate. I want to share a couple of these real quick this week. Uh, Tracy Collins Richardson said uh, she got recognized as one to watch by NSAI for three songs she co-wrote in March. Woohoo! I second that woohoo. Good job, Tracy. Congrats, congrats. Yes, NSAI is a great uh, organization helping songwriters and uh it's good to get recognized by him. So, and also from a climber, Randy England, he said, I got invited back to play rounds at one of my favorite venues in Nashville after playing a couple nights ago, Monday night's going to be booked. So good job, Randy, getting invited back. So uh, they liked you and they wanted more. So good job on both of y'all. So keep on climbing. There you go, guys. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you consume podcasts, leave a rating and review. And most importantly, Brett and I don't take the time that you spend with us every week lightly. We're in our fifth year here. Uh, people are binging this stuff. They started out that. They continue to do so. Listen, we're very grateful for that time that you spend with us. We also mm-hmm. know you're not doing it as an outreach program for Johnny and Brent. You're doing it because you're finding some kind of value in it. So tell somebody about it, right? Like share. Let them know. If you found something good, tell another musician. Tell another artist. Let them know we're talking about the new music industry here. It's a big old knot we got to untie from the old one. And you're right in the middle of a paradigm shift in the marketplace. And the artists who get their head around the stuff we're going to cover today are the ones that are going to thrive. So let's get let's get right to that. We would like to officially welcome to the show music attorney extraordinaire. And I'm proud to say my neighbor in our office building, Mr. Will Lewis and Rick Wells, who is one of the three partners in the WLM Group LLC, which is, uh, I'm going to let them describe what they do there. And I think we got Edwin McCain on the phone, right? Is he, is he back on? I'm here. There you are. Well, welcome, gentlemen. Yeah. Welcome to The Climb. Welcome. And this is probably about the most you're going to hear from me because I'm just going to let Johnny run with this baton because he's super excited and it's over my head mostly. <laughs> I'm like a kid in a candy shop on this one. And I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to get between him and the Skittles. Let's start out with you, Rick, if you don't mind. Like, Maybe talk about WLM Group, how you and Will and Edwin got together, what it is that you're doing, and and then we'll go from there. Because we're going to go deep dive here on blockchain and get some really, really good answers. The, this was based, by the way, by an amazing conversation I had with Will a few days ago where <laughs> I couldn't believe he stuck his head in my office and I just bombarded him with questions and he was kind <laughs> enough to... <laughs> A man that's as busy as he is to actually answer them all. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. I will tell you this real quick. Along those lines, I was I was on the phone yesterday with a GoDaddy tech guy setting up some emails. We spent about 10 minutes doing that. And then we spent the next 45 minutes to an hour talking about NFTs and blockchain. So it's, it's an exciting. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, go ahead. Tell us about WLM uh, LLC, please. WLM Group, sorry. Sure, I heard all about that conversation, by the way. I appreciate <laughs> I was, uh, you taking the time. Um, I hope I'm asking the right questions. I mean, I'm so fascinated by this. And, I, you know, maybe this is naive of me to say, but I, I'm a big picture guy. But beyond the music industry with blockchain, I almost, like, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like this could be the big change that humanity needs to actually move forward in the way that, the transparency of it all with everything, you know, with money, with art, with politics, with all of it. Like, if, if the, you know, the sunlight is the best antiseptic, they say, you know, and if everybody's got to keep it above board, uh, it's interesting to I dream about where that would go. But let's focus on the music industry. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right about that. Um, 
I guess it began a few months ago. I received a call from Edwin. It said his attorney has been bugging the fire out of him about blockchain and NFTs and cryptocurrency. And I think Edwin has uh, tried to resist resist that for a lot of years. And finally, I suppose he capitulated to Will's pleadings and uh, gave me a shout. And Edwin and I go back about 10 years. I did a couple of small projects with Edwin years ago and um, developed a great positive relationship, had a great experience. Both of us did. And I come from software. I 25 years, uh, started a couple of different companies. And Edwin was aware of that. And so for his mindset, it was sort of, okay, here's a guy that understands some, some aspects about the music business and also some aspects about software. So um, anyway, to make a long story short, we met together and uh, talked about the possibilities. I happen to have been in, involved deeply in crypto for several years. And so we formed a consulting firm focusing on two areas. One is the NFT and uh, the other is uh, consulting and applying some of the uh, banking principles that cryptocurrency offers nowadays. You know, uh, okay. in essence, uh, some new platforms and, and new tools, you know, that you referenced, a change, a sea change, if you will, in a lot of the, um, yeah. the opportunities technologies are available. So I've researched this online. I've gone down to Adita, but I am as ignorant as they come about this in a novice. So I'm kind of regurgitating stuff that I've read. In less than two minutes, can you describe just what blockchain is? And let's build from there, like just the most basic description of what blockchain is. And then are there different platforms? Like Ethereum is one of them, right? Are there different platforms? I think people are hearing a lot of names, NFTs, blockchain, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and it gets a little confusing. So maybe we can just, you know, lay the land out there just to set up the conversation that we're about to have. Okay, sure. Blockchain is a, is a technology. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that uses blockchain. Ethereum is a cryptocurrency that uses a different type of blockchain. So you can think of a blockchain as a, as a protocol. Okay. Bitcoin is a, and when I say protocol, I just mean a language, if you will, a programming language. So it's a language. The language of money is what Bitcoin is. Ethereum has its own language. It has its own platform. And there are many other platforms and uh, languages that are used in blockchain. So blockchain is a fairly, a fairly generic term. The term was used early on when the white paper was written for blockchain by a pseudonym. Satoshi Nakamoto is a pseudonym that the, that the writer was uh, published under. And in his, uh, in his writings, he referred to blockchain as a time chain. So if you think of a blockchain as blocks of information that are then bound together over time that creates a transactional ledger, a record, if you will. And that mm -hmm. record is what's used to keep everybody accountable. So whether it's money or whether it's smart contracts or whether it's NFTs or whatever, what have you, the concept of a blockchain is, is essentially an immutable record of, of transactions. Okay. 
nutshell. So <clears throat> I think one of the biggest, most exciting things about blockchain in terms of art is the provenance of it, right? Like imagine if we had blockchain 25 or 30 years ago and you could prove that you bought the first Nirvana EP, their first home demo, or you could prove th that you were one of the early fans on. I think there's the, the, the human psycho psychology applications in the way that this can be used is pretty fascinating. And that's, Will, you've written some contracts with that, right? Now, I think I heard you say that your co-counsel was the one that structured the Beeple deal, right? That's right. Art. My entry into this was a call I got in January from an existing client I had that I'd done some other entrepreneurial uh, works with her, and she was now curating crypto art. And I had no idea what she was talking about initially, and uh, I had to do like everybody else and start Googling and looking this up. And um, But she was putting graphic artists together with really well-known um, musicians, wrapping a you know, 20, 30-second song around a piece of graphical work. And then she handles that aspect of it. She hand, She's a liaison to the platforms like the Nifty Gateway, which is kind of the Christie's of the NFT world, and Maker's Market super rare, uh, I think super rare, some of the top, top end ones. And so my, my contracts involve negotiating the deals with the graphic artists. If there are musicians involved, uh, negotiating that deal, cause you're talking a lot about a lot of different types of intellectual property that's involved here. And then also if, you know, if, if you're going to do something as a work for hire where, the, the person creating that work doesn't own it, but will get a, a piece of the a piece of the pie as the as the sales go on. Those are the kind of deals that I primarily have been working on, and it has just exploded. And when with the Beeple deal, that's when it suddenly hit everybody's radar that this was a big thing. I mean, it's just been going on for a while, and NFT sales have been going on for a while, but that that really got it on everybody's radar, and all of a sudden, everybody started becoming an expert in this field. I don't think there are any experts in this field. I think we're all learning as we go along. Sure. Well, and I'm, I'm all about the search, man. You know, I want to know. And uh, once again, we're grateful for you guys coming on and sharing this with us. So, Rick, I want to ask you, what makes blockchain immutable? And then I'm going to go to Edwin and just ask him as, as an artist where the dots got connected, right? Like where, where did the spark up? All of a sudden you said, you know what? I, I need to go down this rabbit hole. So, Edwin, I'll give you a second to marinate on that. Rick, what makes blockchain immutable? And, and I think that's one of the most exciting things for me, especially for artists in the record business. I mean, let's be honest, the, the record business is notoriously shady because it never had to be transparent. But now that we could move to a platform that can be transparent, you can be paid for the traffic that you create. There's no more pooling, I think, in my mind. Please tell me if I'm wrong on this. Maybe I'm dreaming. But you know, the way the PROs work and the way that uh, the streaming platforms work, SoundCloud just recently changed and came out and said, hey, we're going to pay you per stream. Like you're going to get paid for the traffic you bring as opposed to everything getting pulled in to, and then divided up according to traffic percentages or whatever. Like what, what makes blockchain immutable, meaning that it's completely transparent, you can't change it, right? What makes, how does that work? Right. The definition of, of immutability is that you cannot change what's occurred in the past. And so what allows that to work is called a consensus mechanism or it's a it is a way to validate 
transactions on the blockchain as being authenticated and stamped as valid. Now, uh, the other thing I didn't mention about blockchain was it's a distributed ledger. It's not a centrally located uh, computer that is controlled by a corporation or by a person. As an example, if you need some help using um, your Bitcoin or buying your Bitcoin, there's no 800 number to call. You can't call 1-800-BITCOIN and get an answer. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. that's, as an example, is a, is a bank, simply a bank in cyberspace is what it is. But what makes it immutable is, is, is a consensus uh, calculation. And there are two flavors of that. One is called proof of work and one is called proof of stake. Ethereum, which is the basis of the NFT blockchain, uses proof of work. They're transitioning to proof of stake for various reasons. Bitcoin also uses proof of work. And um, these are ways that ensure that no possible changes can be made to the blockchain. And it has to do with the amount of control it takes. So if you can imagine, there are thousands and thousands of nodes all over the world that all contain the same record. Well, just changing one is not going to make a difference. You've got to change essentially all of them at the same time. And the distributed nature of the transactions make that very, very uh, expensive, time-consuming, and difficult to the point that it's it's uh, virtually impossible to do. Um, and so, so it's that's almost like make- trying to get Congress to come to a consensus <laughs> on something. <laughs> like you got to pass yes. this with like 90 percent, you know, votes <laughs> for this to happen, for this change that's, to be made. That's precisely correct. What you mean by nodes for the climbers out there is instead of there being one central database with one central ledger, you are this whole record is spread out over thousands of databases. So you can't just go hack one. you got to hack them all to make that happen. But if that were to happen on a hack the people would know because the code would change, right? So they know that it was a hack. Yeah, there's a there's a mathematical um, uh, uh, cryptographic calculation that is used to validate an authentic transaction that comes through the network. And that calculation, you know, sometimes it takes a longer or, or, or a shorter period of time, and that's known as a difficulty adjustment. But these cryptographic calculations are what has to be used to create a first pass through the gate, if you will. And so it would be, um, it would be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to, to mount a, an attack like that uh, because of the expense involved. I mean, uh, there's a, a lot of in, information on, uh, out on the, on the web about what's called a 51% attack. That's the term that's used to describe these types of, um, of risks. Gotcha. Meaning if they could attack and get 51% of the nodes to agree to a change, then the yeah. change could be made. That's right. But you have to control those nodes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Edwin, as an artist, what flipped the switch for you? What, what brought you down this road to where you're now a part of W, you're one of the major partners in WLM Group? LLC, WLM? Well, short answer is I, I'm, a, I'm sort of a carryover. I'm a leftover from the old school music business. And there's a lot of guys like me, guys and girls like me that had you know, deals in the 90s 
and back when you know, our recording contracts were not 360 deals. You know, we did not have to give up a piece of everything. And, and so the music business kind of evolved past us. Like the people from my era are not about to sign a 360 deal with anybody ever. Right, that's anathema. Like it's just not, mm-hmm. it's just not part of our consciousness. So, in the process of sort of watching the music business evolve, and then we're waiting on the definition of what a stream is, and everybody's kind of sitting around. And, and meanwhile, I'm out there playing live space and, and sort of doing my own thing and living a perfectly happy life, and, and, and sort of disengaged from the larger music business. But also thinking, well, there's got to be a way to stay connected and distribute new music to people that want it. But the, the apparatus that's in place doesn't really want to sign us because we aren't going to sign 360 deals. And so how do I market and uh, provide new material to the people in, my, in our audience that want it. And I, 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 I floated a couple of things out there to Spotify and Apple Music, and that, that, that thing really, you know, it, it's fine. It, it goes out there and exists in the digital world, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really check any of the boxes. It just sort of feels like an afterthought. People don't really hear about it. And um, so I've been hearing about cryptocurrency for five or six years and, and to be perfectly honest with you I, I was putting it in the same folder as I was putting you know conversations about CrossFit you know I, I, I just couldn't be bothered with it and, <laughs> and, and, and and then you know slowly the more I, I, I started hearing about it but, but the people that I was hearing about it from were seekers you know high level thinkers they were always sort of on the vanguard of new technology and, and the new paradigm. And it sort of passed that fad phase where, you know, it was more than three years, it was more than four years. And all of a sudden, the, the whole idea of digital currency and blockchain and everything starts having, um, for me, it became a legitimate store of wealth. And then the whole idea of NFT, the NFT uh, and now what you can do is engage your audience, not only with your art, but with something that can actually retain value. And, and really that's, that's what artists are doing when they gather up people that love what they do. They've created an, an economic ecosystem, but it's always been unidirectional. Like I provide something and you buy it from me. And in very rare cases, they may buy something from you and it holds value and they can resell it later. Like if somehow they got an autographed guitar or something like that. But now this is different. Like this is actually an ecosystem that comes circular where they can be a part of and have earning potential in the art that you produce and as a songwriter the whole goal is is you're trying to have your audience enroll themselves in your process in the process of writing a song there always you always want there to be a moment where they go oh 
aha, I know what you're talking about. I understand how, what the, the crystalline moment is. And now I'm enrolled in your process. Well, this is sort of the same thing. They can enroll themselves in your, in your process, uh, not only from the emotional level, but from a financial level as well. And that part was where I kind of switched on again. And I've been, in all of these years, I've been involved in all kinds of entrepreneurial endeavors. And this is, this is right, right up my alley. Part of what I've done over the years, I've consulted a lot of different companies and done creative consulting for a lot of different, in a lot of different segments. So my best skill is kind of putting people together. And so I, I started talking to Will about this. And I said, well, the only way I'm getting into this is we got to get Rick on board. And I know he knows all of this and will benefit from all of his years of diligent study of blockchain and the Bitcoin and the and that universe. And so we got up to speed very quickly with the help of Rick. And I, I've been watching this from a, for a while from afar. So this has gotten very exciting for me. And every time I think I know how I want to plug in my music and, and my endeavors to this, there's another wrinkle that comes along and I go, okay, wait a second. Now maybe we ought to try it this way. So, so it's really kind of a, it's a little bit of paralysis of analysis, right? There, there's so many options that are out there. Um, I, I think one of the things that I have going, we have going for us is that I'm not a new artist, right? And I think that there's a certain sense of urgency a lot of the new artists have about trying to get out there and, and you create momentum. Um, but I say to a lot of the younger artists that I'm working with, you know, it's really, it's really about getting out there and, and playing live in front of people. But then this, this whole uh, TikTok, like Instagram, the ability for artists to, to connect with people worldwide by posting videos has just been a revolution. So it's um, it, it's it's all it's all been extremely exciting to me. But I've had to I've had to modify you know sort of my old ethics uh, about how how you do this. And it used to be go out there and tour tour tour, but that's almost that's that's almost secondary to creating. Uh, compelling material to put out into the ether, out into the universe. So, um, and it seems like that's what you got. You're counseling a lot with your podcast, uh, the steps of how to grow uh, your brand as a, as a young artist. And exactly, yeah. And um, and I listen. I commend you for for making the change. I mean, from mm -hmm. somebody who was as successful as you were in the old music industry, that's a big knot to untie that largely the industry hasn't done yet. You know, the biggest mm -hmm. thing that we promote on this podcast from a, a branding and promotion standpoint is the vacuum that I see is that the lion's share of the industry still doesn't really honor the digital platform. They're still trying to treat the digital platform, which is consumed one-to-one -one, as if it was a broadcast platform because 
it behaves like that when you have a multi-million dollar brand name and then we invent social media. And so all these fans that you created on broadcast platforms come over to digital and it walks and talks and smells like a digital platform. But it's still, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the artists that are being broken today by labels, by the system, are largely still broadcast platform breaks that they're doing. They might be acquiring artists that broke digitally, but they don't have that marketing pipeline set up to break artists digitally like they did uh, with radio and with touring and with MTV. I've seen artists, like I've become like, I'm I'm hyper-focused on TikTok during this pandemic. And and I'll be honest, I, I really did just ignore social media up until the pandemic. I couldn't force myself to see the value in it, right? And I have a problem with mm-hmm. being, I, I, I'm oppositionally defiant uh, and all, but it, that, that always served me well as far as like believing that I could go out on the road and be a musician, right? So so this, this whole sort of punk streak that kind of kept me away from the social media thing, I finally had a, I was forced to, to face it and dive into it and then also see the value in it because as I engaged TikTok, I realized the strength that that platform has is authenticity. So you have fully actualized people doing their best uh, and, and it's interesting because it seems to be the thing that's most the, that's most compelling are the artists that are transparently authentic. They're not tuned it up. They're being themselves. They're working it out. They're struggling. That they're, they're expressing their struggles, and 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 you can tell the difference. And so this is something I've said for years. Like you know, audiences know when you're faking it. Uh, they they 100% know. They they might not be able to tell you, but they know. They they, they know the difference between the real thing and the pretenders, and and that's why there's always been that talk in the music industry of this artist has has that thing. You know those the intangibles. They talk about the intangibles. The, the intangibles the is just a yeah. synonym mm-hmm. for authenticity. The intangibles are just synonym for the truth and and so that platform i love that yeah <laughs> it, re- it really strips the filter off and it puts authenticity out there in front and, and you see the things that resonate right and it goes back to that saying nobody remembers the things you say they only remember the way you make them feel and that's where the the connection lies so it, it's becoming more and more of a meritocracy. And people, people yeah. are not, uh, it, it really, like Malcolm Gladwell had, had this book um, that he wrote called The Tipping Point. And, and historically, uh, as, as a society, we, would, we have our mavens. We have people that we go to that are touchstones for what's good, right? So it's just a shortcut. Mm. We have people whose tastes that we trust, we go to them, they say this is good, and so we adopt it into our lives. And now our maintenance are these 
digital channels, these social media channels. And, and so we're going there, but they're not telling us what's good. They're giving us a ton of things to choose from, and then we make our choices. And, and, and that's where it's been different. Instead of uh, it, we use our, our uh, choices used to get um, funneled down to us by the publicity department at the record company and the bookers on the Tonight Show and David Letterman. And, and so there were people that were sort of gatekeeping a lot of things and, and curating a lot of things for us. And now we, we're able to curate for ourselves, and obviously with the help of an algorithm. But it really has made more of a meritocracy because I see kids on here, and I say kids, the 18, 20, 19, 20-year-olds, that are incredibly good at conveying the emotion and sharing their experience. And instead of having a songwriter write them a catchy song, they're writing songs about their grandmother's house or what was unique about their experience from their lives. And, and that's the kind of sort of galvanized uh, authenticity that cannot be broken, right? Someone knows that this is a true experience from their life, and it draws a line between someone else's experience and your own, and, and that's exactly the final connection for art. That's where it completes its circle, and that's why it works, and I see that, and I think once you've completed that circle and you've become a fan of someone's art, everybody wants to be involved more, right? It's the whole idea of having fan clubs in the seventies, mm -hmm. and this is just the this is just the twenty first century version of the fan club. Right on. Yeah. So, Will, let me ask you this: Let's take everything that Edwin just said, and we're talking about undeniable, authentic art. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Authenticity is like, oh, well, that's what the NFTs are. They're authentic. Yeah, yeah. And let's 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 bring that into this. Can you first of all sort of describe in a basic fashion how an artist is going to get paid? And what I mean by paid is when artists ask, "How am I going to get paid from from blockchain or from NFTs or from Audius or from Theta or from whatever?" What they really mean is, how am I going to pay my rent, right, and put food in my mouth using this system? And then if you could expand maybe as much as you feel comfortable with on just a couple, like, real-world examples that maybe you've seen or, or that you've structured sure. uh, well, or something like before, that. Before Will goes, I want to jump on something real quick. The, the other part of the story is, is that the, the music industry in general, and I think, Will, I think you were at a conference that I talked at where I kind of scolded the music business because the artists and the labels had been airing their dirty laundry for so long about how much money the labels take away. And it, the traditional mythology around this is that the artists always get screwed and they're not making the money. And, and so that information's out there. And, and, and Taylor Swift's latest uh, re-release of her album and the popularity of it proves the fact that fans want to make sure that the dollars that they spend go to the artists that they love. And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's an incredible driver 
for them. Like if you give them a platform where they know that every cent they're spending is going directly to the artists that they love, they, they, they're much more willing to engage. Yeah, I mean, the way that we sort of um, articulate that on the podcast is he or she who owns the traffic rules the road, right? And you saw that in the development of the market in in Hollywood, right? At some point, the chief executive at NBC started scratching his head and said, we got this huge check from Netflix for Friends, but nobody goes to Netflix for Netflix. They're going to Netflix for Friends. Whatever we're splitting with them for a video player is too much, Right. Why don't we get 100 percent of the revenue from our intellectual property? And why shouldn't artists be able to do the same? And I really feel like blockchain is is the answer to this and the answer to really, truly galvanize the middle class of of the music business, of the artists where you can without the gatekeepers and without the money, people handling the big pools of money and everything like that, like you'd legitimately have a, a much better shot at making more money than you could make, say, pushing a broom, doing what you love to do so long as you're authentic and you're good at it and you want to work, right? That, that's the mind blow to me. So how does that work, Will, on blockchain? Like how do they get paid? And then again, just sort of give us a couple of real world examples of stuff you've structured yeah, so sure. we can get an idea on my world that. is primarily has primarily been in the NFT world and how you make money off of that. What I'm really excited about and thank you for the conversation the other day in the hallway, because, you know, you asked me about Audius on the music side and Theta Token on the video side. And, and I had not been focusing on those aspects, but I have 24 seven along with every other bit of research we're all doing took a deep dive into those. So it's not just the NFT world. There is quite a craze right now for the NFT world. But what's super exciting is what I see is how this technology is being implemented through entities like Audius um, on the music side, which is kind of an alternative to your, it's not a replacement right now for Spotify or anything like that. It's an alternative for independent artists to start testing out this new platform with the plans in the future to be direct monetization between artists and fan like edwin was talking about the, the fan it's not a charity thing the fan wants to put money in the pockets of the artist and i think that's what entities like audius and theta token are doing and also incorporating this notion of artists being able to create their own coin their own cryptocurrency to generate funds and then spread the wealth among their fans so it's a fascinating world as to where this is going wow wait, hold on a second hold on, hold on. go down <laughs> go down that road for a second so if i'm following you what's to keep an artist from creating its own currency like right. fortnite has fortnite bucks right so how does that <laughs> okay now we're going down that rabbit hole right now like what explain what you just said to me like I'm a 4 year old because I I'm, I'm already my radar's up but I don't want to go the wrong way. Well that has happened already and I and I and I'll pass that on to Rick but there are artists that are creating their own coins for various beneficial purposes back and forth beneficial beneficial to the artist beneficial to their fans and Like what's one example of how it can be beneficial to both? Rick you want to jump on that or Hey, climbers, welcome to some help. That's right. We want to turn you on to a professional service by our sponsor, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. 
Com. Listen, as singers, songwriters, and artists, our greatest strength is sometimes our greatest weakness, and that is our emotional intensity. Listen, it helps you create great art, but it can also torpedo not just your career, but your life. And we don't want the bad stuff. We just want the great art. We want your emotions to be a source of help, not hurt. And that brings us to BetterHelp.com. Sorry, guys, it's not a crisis line. This is not a self-help line. This is a professional counseling service that's done securely online. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And as an artist and as somebody who deals with artists, the licensed professional counselors that they have, the stuff they specialize in, I'm going to read you just a quick little list. I've had to deal with all these at one point or another, either myself or with other artists. So this is real stuff. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trouble sleeping. A lot of us have had traumas, anger, family conflicts, if LGBTQ matters, grief from loss is something, a loved one maybe. And and just about every artist I know, I don't, I don't think I know one that doesn't secretly have a little self-esteem issue going on. So here's somebody you can talk to. That's right. And you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. So you don't have to wait long to start talking to somebody. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available, which is great. I'm always happy to see that. And the service is available for clients worldwide, meaning you don't have to just find somebody local who understands you, but that you might run into at the grocery store. You can find counselors worldwide. So it doesn't matter where you are. That's right, guys. If you want to dig down a little deeper on this, there's a ton of testimonials that you can research that are on their website at betterhelp.com. And this podcast is just because we want you to win. We don't want this stuff to get in the way of your artist's career. So if this can help, then we want to help you help yourself. So as a climber, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash songwriter. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash songwriter. Well, I can't give you any, any specific examples, but there are three different platforms who specialize in vanity coins, if you will. Okay. Now, these vanity coins, the value of them, the jury's still out on how valuable those things are. It really depends on how it's used. And there's really three kinds of tokens, if you will. If you want to classify them, there's a, what's called a stable coin, which is pegged to the dollar. There is a security token, which typically represents an asset, a cash flow, or an equity stake in a company. And that kind of complicates things to some degree. And then there is a what's called a utility token. And that's the okay. Bitcoin and the Ethereum's. And the utility token and the stable coin are probably two of the best use cases of how one might go about creating their own coin. Um, again, it depends on how it's used as to how valuable it is to the network. So, uh, yeah, uh, there, there are. There I'll, are give some, you, I'll give you one example, Johnny, is that. Is a DJ, DJ Grammatic, who uh-huh. created his own coin. And I found this through doing my research on this, that created his own token, and it was called GRMTK. And he used an entity called Singular DTV, which um, is creating an ecosystem under this Ethereum blockchain that we'll talk about that NFTs primarily are being sold on. And I uh, had an initial coin offering 
um, which implicates SEC things and, and whatnot. And that's one of the things as a lawyer I'm following is the regulatory landscape and all this stuff that we're talking about. But he raised $2.5 through an initial coin offering of his own digital coin. And through that process, that money and through smart contracts, when he started putting works out there peer-to-peer with his, with his fans that bought this coin, he was able to distribute royalties from his music back to the fans through the smart contract process. And so that's a thousand-foot view, but an example of how an artist is using a coin to raise money, number one, to do all kinds of awesome things, and then spread the wealth among the people that invested in that artist. So it's almost like uh, issuing shares of public offering, except they don't have ownership, right. but they do get dividends. That's like, right. That's and one it's way because you of that, that paradigm that it gets the attention of the SEC because it's creating an investment opportunity where people are hoping they'll make some money off of. I don't know that that's the motivation of a fan of a musician, but there are speculators out there. So in this world, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about NFTs or talking about these new streaming paradigms, Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. You have your fans, but you also have a different class of people out there, several different classes of people, people that just love discovering new things and are out there looking and they may find you. It may, it, it, for Ed, in Edwin's case, it may be an entire new generation of fans and not his typical fan base that has rapidly followed him throughout his career. You've also got speculators out there that are trying to make money. And one of the beauties of this blockchain technology, particular this so-called smart contract that you find on the Ethereum blockchain is the ability to resell what you have bought, whether it's a art, NFT, or, or what have you. And when you resell it, uh, the person who's selling it makes money. But the beauty of it is, is that the original creator immediately makes money on that resale through the process of through having a, a digital wallet where and this, and this will get back to, I'm kind of backing up now into the NFT space to answer for artists, how do you do this, right? But that, that's where we want to be. I like that we're right here. The, the- so w- with Rick's help, I went and, you know, I always like to do things practically so I can explain to clients, how do you do it? And so first thing I did was mm-hmm. go to the platform called Coinbase, which is having its uh, having an IPO today on the, is it, is it NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange? Coinbase is a trading platform. So I go there, um, I attach it to my 
Let me interrupt for one second. By trading platform, would that be like an exchange platform? Is that how I take whatever coins you're about to talk about and turn that into? Because I can't pay my rent with Bitcoin. That's exactly right. That's what you do. That's the way it can be done now. Now, Obviously, it's not completely decentralized uh, because you're going through an exchange as opposed to running a computer node and creating your own Bitcoin, which is kind of tough for an individual to do these days. But I get an account with Coinbase, link it to my, as they call fiat currency, my U.S. bank, and then I transfer U.S. dollars. And can you can you explain fiat currency like in less than 30 fiat seconds? Fiat currency is basically non-digital currency. U.S. dollars, fiat currency. The euro is fiat currency. It's, just, it's a term given to okay. that. But I then transfer U.S. dollars into my Coinbase account. All right. And then with that, okay. I buy... Gotcha. X amount of Ethereum because Ethereum is the currency that's used for most of the. If you want to buy an NFT, there's some exceptions, but if you want to buy an NFT, you buy it using Ethereum. That's the, the okay. money. I then got what was called a MetaMask account. That is the digital wallet that you that you, you pull the Ethereum out to pay when you go onto a platform that's selling the NFTs. So. And you would use, for instance, Google Chrome, or you would. Use, it works on Firefox as well. And there's this little tiny, uh, I think it's a wolf that sits up on your uh, top of your computer. When I go to a website like rarible.com that any artist can create uh, right now, uh, they can mint an NFT of their work, put it on Rarible. There's no invitation required. If I go on there, I click a button on my MetaMask account, and that's what links me to Rarible.com. And if I see something I want to buy, I click buy, and it pulls the Ethereum out of my MetaMask account, right? So that's, that's how if I want to buy something. So okay. there are some processes you have to do. You have to get the digital currency, get it into a wallet, and then link that wallet to the platform. Which sounds complicated, and it's probably like right now may or may not be uh, as user friendly, but it's very similar right. to no different than Venmo, right? Where mm-hmm. where I've got Venmo's this account, which is like that MetaMask account, and then I'm going to transfer that into my bank account, and then I can pull that's out right. that's cash that's money. Right. Except if it's I decentralized, want, right? so you're not dealing with a Venmo interme- intermediary that's taking a, a transactional fee out of the process. There is a fee you have to pay called gas, and, and we can talk about that. But what I did was I've been drawing crazy weird painting. I mean, painting very weird stuff since I was in college. And so I took a photo of one and then it's a JPEG file. I went to rarible.com and um, linked in with my MetaMask account. It says create, hit the create button, uploaded the JPEG. It had to be under certain 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 megs, like 60 megs or less. Um, and then that's and that's where you get to the smart contract part that you talk about, which they're really neither. And a lot of people say this: they're really neither smart nor contracts. It's code you input into <laughs> a, into a database to create that NFT. So, in other words, I'll put a description of what the work is. Anything you want to say, just you know, flowery language, whatever. Then I also put whether. Uh, is there an exact amount that if somebody pays it, boom, the sale takes place? Or do I create an auction level type of a situation? And then, and that's on the primary sale, right? And then I also say, well, if it mm-hmm. gets sold again, what percentage take do you want? 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%? Say, I put that in, 10%, let's say. I mean, oh my God, imagine if artists... If the secondary market well, it, paid writers and, and it will, artists. and I think that's, mm-hmm. like that's the beauty of this, Holy which crap. is where all this technology I think is going to pervade everything that we traditionally know in terms of making sure 
you know, 15 writers on one composition gets properly paid and gets paid directly. Right now you have to have a, if you want to get paid directly, you have a MetaMask wallet and it's tied to that smart contract. So what mm-hmm. happens as soon as someone purchases the work that I put up there, uh, which I, 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 I don't have what people like Edwin would have or, or other musicians that listen to your podcast. I don't have a following. So I, I did this primarily for a learning experience. Well, tie in. Mm-hmm. Just, just to go through the process Which so you can into think an about it issue. Yeah. This is no get rich uh, quick scheme if you are just starting out. You got to do your work on this just like you would in promoting yourself on everything else. But we'll get to that. So mm-hmm. once my work is sold, if someone sells it for $50,000 to someone else, instantaneously, when that transaction takes place, of that $50,000 goes into my MetaMask account. If I want to convert it back to fiat currency, I send it back over to Coinbase, convert it to U.S. dollars, send it back to my bank account, and that's how you pay your rent. I look at it as a complimentary thing right now, not something to displace anything, but another stream of income for artists. In other words, it works. It works in conjunction with what's happening now as opposed to as a black or white. It's It's either this or that kind of a thing. A prime example is what the Kings of Leon just did recently. Can you go down? Can you explain that a little bit? Just sort of lay out what what happened. Yeah, King, Kings of Leon decided that they would have an auction of NFTs that were a number, and they did it on the OpenSea platform, which I don't think OpenSea is invitational. So anybody listening could go on, I believe, and, and put your work on there. And by the way, you put your work on Rarible, it's going to show up on OpenSea, and vice versa. But what Kings of Leon did was engaged a, a company called Yellow Heart to act as a facilitator and a curator and help them put the, get the process together. And, of course, Kings of Leon also, the interesting aspect of that, which I don't know all the details of, they're having to deal with the old school because they are signed with RCA. And so you're dealing with labels and publishers and getting them all up to speed on what this is and how. What a nightmare that must be. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I don't know. But. But, but <laughs> I will that say that so so they curated a number of things, which is really cool. I mean, they had their classic little pieces of graphic art on there, but they also tied their NFTs to um, physical things and experiences. So they had a limited number of vinyl that was created of this album, and they said, you know, we're going to sell X amount and then we're going to burn the rest, if, you know, after the auction's over so to create that notion of, of rarity. And they also um, sold NFTs. You got a little link to this digital asset, but also you got four lifetime front row tickets to every one of their shows going forward. Guaranteed, guaranteed four front row seats in any town, any show. And there were some naysayers because because last check they had only made like $2 million, right? Which I thought. Right. Some people were poo-pooing that in the press. Like, uh, hilarious because how was that a failure? How could you spin that into being some kind of a failure? <laughs> that is, is too many. And, and, and by the way, I think they gave like a, a quarter of that to charity, which is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But it's it, in my opinion, for for an artist, it's found money because at the same time they're doing this, they're dropping this new fantastic album on Spotify and Apple and Amazon and everything else. So it's not in lieu of that. It's right. an additional stream of income. Now, why can they be successful and I'm not successful on my my work that's still sitting out there as an NFT because they got the following and Yellowheart helped them with the mass marketing and they have an entire publicity team that points people to this. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody, on X date, there's going to be a drop on OpenSea of Kings of Leon. The, the press picks it up. 
And that's what I would point out to any up and coming artist. You still have to do your legwork in promoting yourself. The difference here is you get your NFT, dabble with it, try one out, put, get one up on rarible.com and then point all your fans through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything to them. Say, this is a new, exciting thing. This is what we're doing. Limited edition. By the way, when you're creating that smart contract, you can also say, do I want to make it one of one or one of 20 or one of 250? You have right. to decide that. So like, so, what's really cool is just even on the very, very beginner level, when I was doing research for this, I watched an interview with Gary Vaynerchuk and some teacher. I don't know the relationship between them, how he got Gary B on his show, but he he's very knowledgeable in NFTs. And this teacher who, like, I think just the way that you described it, Will, put one piece of artwork up as an NFT to go through the process to, to, to see what it felt like as a consumer to do that or whatever. They went and they did that. And then somebody out of nowhere came to him and said, Hey man, I, I, he w- was interested in buying that NFT for the sole purpose that it's the first one. Right. 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 Like it's the first one. Like, so already he, he didn't even have a following or brand, but Hey, you could like all of a sudden, if you're the kind of artist that can keep working and keep mowing. So my brain goes crazy here. What is it? Can you Let's see look, if I just want to point one thing out real quickly and for, for people listening that haven't really looked into this yet. And it's fascinating to me as a lawyer. One of the first things that went in my mind when I started learning about this and having to draw contracts up to deal with it is what exactly is the person buying? And mm-hmm. so if an artist is afraid, oh, well, I'm, am I giving up my copyright? Am I giving up a copyright to a sound recording or to musical composition? Absolutely not. The only way you transfer your ownership of a copyright to someone is if you sign a document saying, I hereby transfer my copyright to you. You don't do this in this process. So what you'll hear when you start looking at YouTube videos about this kind of stuff or just hearing people talk about it, they're saying, oh, I bought such and such a work of art. It's no different than saying I bought Edwin McCain's Honor Among Thieves album. I didn't buy the work. I bought the vinyl that it's on. Yeah. Edwin owns the rights to the music, right? That's a good distinction. Yeah. yeah. I, I, thank so you, for- you don't have to have fear that you're giving something up. You need to be careful about what you say in your description because you can, you could possibly say something that interprets it as being a copyright transfer. There's no case law on it yet. Yeah. To decide, you know, what exactly is a transfer in this digital world. But under the current Copyright Act, you do not transfer copyright unless you affirmatively state it in a writing uh, signed by the original creator. So you don't have to worry about that, which begs another question of what is the person buying? And we can get into that if you want. Yeah, well, I just wanted to uh, put a little pin on something you said, Will, about it's something we said on this podcast a lot is distribution is not marketing. You can put your music up on Spotify, Amazon, whatever. It doesn't mean anybody knows about it. You can put your stuff That's on right. Amazon. doesn't mean anybody's going to sell it. You can put your music on. You can put an NFT out there. But again, if you don't have a following, if you haven't done the marketing, just because it's out there, Kevin Costner owes us all an apology for the whole, if you build it, they will come thing. Wrong. <laughs> I love him. Love some of his movies. Even watched The Postman. But he owes us one on that. It's interesting because two things that I hyper focus on is what is the person actually buying? Because you're going to I'll come across people that want to buy this stuff and say, what am I getting? Mm -hmm. They're they're buying bragging rights. They're buying a signed autograph, the the equivalent of a signed baseball card. But because the NFT, 
is what lies on the blockchain, that, that smart contract that says this is how what will happen when it sells. And then it points to another platform where the digital asset is stored. Because these blocks, and Rick would know better on this, I think, but these blocks only hold so much amount of of data. So you don't tip, you're typically not going to be putting a high definition work of art and embedding it on the blockchain. There is a, a link through the NFT that points to a Dropbox folder or. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So uh, I'm not sure who I got to direct this question at. Um, so just answer in kind. Uh, but. So one of the things that I said, and this is me dreaming about like the big picture thing, right? And so it's sort of getting so excited about the potential was that you could have 20 million different artists with 20 million different works of art on 20 million different servers. And they're all getting – so could, could you run a release that would be distributed to the DSPs through blockchain so that the the – you know, every stream that happens, you're actually getting 100% of the revenue that that traffic generates. I think we're getting there. I don't think it's there yet, but I think. Um, you know, is Spotify, that what Audius is? In, in Audius is Audius has a lot of components to it, and and it's not a monetizing thing right now. I don't think. I mean, and I, and I apologize. I think it's a fantastic platform. I actually uploaded it on my phone and started listening to music on it. It's intended to be eventually what Audius is going to do ultimately is facilitating the creation of this blockchain. They have digital tokens involved as well that get traded back and forth. But they're going to turn it over to the community after after it gets going. They pull themselves away so that it becomes the traditional decentralized platform. And when you buy tokens, if, I hope I'm getting this right, and I might be confusing audience with the, with the video. But it, with the, with the Theta whole, token? Yeah, yeah, but the whole idea is the same, is that by purchasing these tokens, you become, you get a say-so in the direction of that platform going forward. And you will actually see on one of them, I saw where there's a vote out there and people can can vote on where, what is the direction of this thing? Rick, you want yeah, to I was just going to say, that's what you're describing there, Will, is a governance token. And that organization that you're describing is called a DAO or a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It just means that there's no CEO making daily decisions. All those decisions and all that management layer of stuff is all automated in the form of smart contracts, and it's a matter of voting yes or no. That's how. That's how. It's it a runs. freaking digital hippie commune. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love about it. You know, um, can you see? So, like, just let's just talk about music releases for a second. I foresee. And tell me if this has happened or just on a creative, like, let's dream for a second. Like every artist coming out with a piece of work that in the way that the single on radio was really sort of the commercial for the record. Right. When we had to go and own music. Can you see a huge part of the industry migrating back to ownership? Like. like I'm going to release a single on the DSP, but if you want to buy the rest of the work, you got to get the NFT. Yeah, now I I think that this is more of a an overall philosophical view, and I'm in, in doing all of my due diligence on the whole history of Bitcoin, and it and it's this. I don't think I'll be surprised if if what we're talking about here completely takes over a Spotify or an Apple or an Amazon or anything. I will not be surprised if those entities 
fully adopted this technology to to further their business ventures going forward. In other words, if you don't jump on this train, you're going to be left behind, and none of these entities are going to be left behind. So it's going to get incorporated. Mm-hmm. Audius, I note, they're not trying to say, hey, just come and listen to stuff here that you can go to Spotify on. They're encouraging artists to put unique works up there that you may not find on Spotify. And I, the plan there is to allow the artist to set prices on the ability of their fans to listen to this unique music. And um, and and so it, it's, it's not like, oh, well, I could go to Audius and pay a dollar to listen to it, or I can go to Spotify and pay nothing other than, you know, if I've got a monthly subscription. But the plan is you can't do that because it won't be available there. So it's a way for an artist, to, again, to provide exclusive content to their fans. And I think their plan is to really generate the digital hippie commune that is a place where fans can directly interact with the artists that can buy exclusive things that aren't available anywhere else. And the artist chooses what that monetary value is. And through this technology, the money goes directly to the artist, how that gets incorporated into a non-independent artist that's got a publishing deal and has a label deal. That's where the labels and the publishers are going to start jumping in on, on this as well. It was kind of like a, um, in the Bitcoin world, third world countries are adopting this faster than the United States is because um, there's so many unbanked people out there. And then the argument I've been hearing is, you know, ultimately the United States can be on the forefront of this and the innovator and really jump into it wholeheartedly or wait until everybody else is, has and then have to adapt and do it later because mm-hmm. it's going to have to be done because that's where everything is going. And I think it's a, the same case here. Now, one interesting thing on NFTs and anything running on the Ethereum blockchain is this gas fee that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And can, can you when you go down and talk about that, can you also articulate to the audience the conversation that we had in regards to the consumption of energy that it requires to mint a token right now? And then you had mentioned something about, I think it was Ethereum 3.0 or something like they're already, the, the free markets at work, they're already trying to address some methodologies to to make it more efficient, right? So can you start start with the gas and explain what that is? I'll just mention the practical aspect and turn it over to Edwin and Rick to talk about the, the overall picture that there. When I, when I went to mint my work, it was before the Beeple sale, so there wasn't a whole lot of people knowing about it. You pay that Ethereum gas fee, to, which is how the, the, the miners out in the world get paid that are authenticating and verifying and and making sure that, you know, all the computers are saying, yes, this is an actual real transaction, et cetera. Et cetera. Is, is a miner the owner of a node yes. server? Is that yeah. st- – okay. Basically, Thank you. Yeah. And, and what they have right now – and Rick, correct me if I say it wrong, but they, they Ethereum is using – proof of work right now. Is that correct? Correct. And proof of work, all of these computers are competing with each other to solve an algorithm and be the one to be able to put that data onto a chain. And when they do that, they get paid X amount of money in Ethereum. That money is the gas fee that we're paying to do it. And that creates a tremendous amount of energy, that process. But that's getting ready to change through this process of Ethereum 2.0, where they're going to go from proof of work the proof of stake, which will drop down the energy costs, which will also in turn drop down these gas fees because those fees go up depending upon how much activity is on there. So after the Beeple sale took place, you go, it took me, it cost the equivalent of 10 US dollars to mint that work. 
when I went to go look at minting another one, like a, a day or so after that sale took place, it was like it was close to ninety five to hundred dollars to mint. It would have been the exact same work. That will be that will change as this process of Ethereum 2.0 is implemented, mm-hmm. um, and that process is well over my head. But if you want to find a fascinating interview that I listened to on YouTube the other day, it was this guy. Rick will know the, the interviewer's name, but Vitalik Buterin, who created the Ethereum network, this Canadian-Russian guy, his brains were seeping out of his head. You guys are so smart. <laughs> I was captivated. They were getting all into the technical side of stuff, but it was really educational to me. So, Will you send me that link? I would love to yeah. and, uh, but, listen to that. But practically speaking, that's what gas is, where that gas money goes. And then I'll turn it over to these guys. Yeah, okay, that- so before I get to Rick, real, real quick, so the, the there all those nodes are competing to be the one that puts it on their server. But once it goes on their server, then it goes on all the servers, right? But the well, first server is the one that gets paid. Is that how that gas works? I, I would I would defer to Rick, other than to say my understanding is they're not competing to put it on their server; they're competing to get it on the blockchain itself. Are on the blockchain. So Rick, can you answer that question? And then right behind it, can you? Talk to me like I'm a four-year-old and explain the difference between proof of stake versus proof of – what's the other one? Proof of work. Proof of work, yes. Proof of work, yeah. Um, well, let me start with the last one. And maybe while I'm describing that, I'll think of the answer to the first one. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> proof of work is a, um, it's a mechanical number crunching uh, process – that is seeking for a particular answer. And when a miner gets a submission for a transaction, they have to... By the way, miner, M-I-N-E-R people, not M-I-N-O-R. We're, right. we're talking, okay. these are the people that own the nodes, okay? Yeah, yeah like, a, like, a, 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 like a, a gold mine. Like a coal mm-hmm. miner. Yeah, yeah. A, a coal miner, a gold mine. Uh, these are miners and they have large warehouses and trailers of of graphic level computing gear and they crunch these numbers uh, and they're all attempting to solve the same puzzle. And so as they each solve the same puzzle and get the same answer, there's a consensus that's created and the winner, if you will, is awarded a portion of that token, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's a Bitcoin. Okay. Um, Okay. Is there a skill set involved in that? Is there a skill set involved in being a miner? Do they have some algorithms that they're writing to solve that problem faster? Or is it just... You have to buy a computer that has this software, the, either the Ethereum or Bitcoin or any other type of crypto. It's all open source. Software. It's all automated. Huh. Okay, got it. It's all open, how- and it's open source. Okay, it's all open source. Ethereum is open source. Bitcoin is open source. The mining stuff is open source. Uh, you know, there's no corporation controlling access to this, you know, this capability. But yes, you do need a, t- a certain level of technical expertise to operate a node. Okay. So what's the, how does that Not differ to, from you proof do- of stake? Okay. Proof of stake is, is a little less loose. Uh, it, it, it is not as trustless. And so, by trustless, I mean that you're not having to place any trust in any other entity or organization that this, in fact, is true. Because in a proof-of-work environment, it's trustless, completely trustless. In a proof-of-stake environment, what they do is they they apportion out 
based upon whatever the criteria is, is there's different types of proof of stake that are available and which one is used depends on the application and, and the whole uh, purpose of the token. Now, validators are the people who represent the miners in proof of stake. So you have a miner in proof of work, you have a validator in proof of stake. Becoming a validator is really a, a matter of an election process. It's not just open to everybody. So there's a little bit of maybe some politics involved in becoming um, a, a proof of stake validator. Uh, and, it, and it can be controlled by the group. We're going to let you in, but we're not going to let you in. So it's not quite as trustless. But when you have a network effect that's big enough. And trustless is a good thing in this example. Yes. Trustless trust is a good thing in this example, uh, right? Okay. Right. Exactly. Uh, but I think when you have. Sorry, I didn't mean uh, to interrupt you, but I just want to make that clear. No, I think the last point is that when, you're, when you have a large, a large enough network and validators have a very low bar of getting in, they're not kept out, uh, then you're going to achieve something close to a hundred percent trustless, um, you, you know, in that, in that kind of environment. So and can, and can I, the difference uh, is, is that uses a lot less energy. So hmm. the energy used to do a proof of work to mine a Bitcoin is far greater than it is to, to do a proof of stake. Um, so, so the headline is that with Ethereum 2.0 and 3.0, it's going to be more and more efficient and use less and less energy to create the same outcome. Well, I would not. I wouldn't describe it as the same outcome. I would describe it as, you know, uh, an outcome less an acceptable level of required trust. You know, so that. That, that's okay. where you understood. Sure, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. that, that's where you got to sort of quantify in your own mind. Okay, you know, what are we getting for this proof of work versus what are we getting for the proof of stake? And, and I, I would say, as a specific example to the Ethereum, I think the way that that works this proof of stake is is that they're they're creating they're creating an algorithm that in, instead of it going out into the whole uh, world of these nodes. The state there is the amount of Ethereum that you have put up uh, as a miner or, or, or what have you. And then the algorithm will choose, uh, randomly choose those that meet that staking process. Rather than spreading it out, it, go, it, it starts randomly sending them out to people that qualify through staking their Ethereum. So you could see there would be less energy consumption through that process of saying, all right, it's just going to go to you. You do your work and then it gets validated and goes out way over my head. But instead of it being spread among a bunch of computers, it goes to someone who's staked enough Ethereum to qualify. And then, as Rick was saying, that staking process can vary widely from blockchain to blockchain. So, Edwin, as a artist in this, uh, that's that's I mean, you've got to be one of the forefront artists on this here. What? Creatively speaking, is there anything that you would be feel comfortable sharing uh, as far as like a strategy that might be applied to your next release that would incorporate NFTs or anything like that? What what keeps you up at night in terms of the creativity on this for your to bring your art to your fans in a new way? Hey, well, the, some some of the challenges uh, for me is you know obviously 
part of it is letting go of the the old way of thinking that you have to put together a you know ten to twelve song album and you know it, it, that whole cycle of how we used to produce and release music um, had schedules attached to it um, and, and it, it's that's that's kind of part of the thing you have to let go. It's, it's, you don't really have to have these schedules and you don't have to put three months long promotional uh, ramp up and that, you know, you, you can, you can literally have a continuous engagement with new material all the time, but it's sort of like standing next to a, to an escalator that's going really fast. Like when do you step on? You know, I mean, it, 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 you kind of have to make the decision to just step on it and go. And I'm still standing there watching the escalator going, making sure I understand how it works uh, before I before I step mm-hmm. on. Uh, and and I think the good news is that there are a lot of uh, artists that have younger fan bases that are more technologically savvy that are able to sort of engage in this process. Uh, more fluidly than say somebody from my uh my uh my era wow that's that's great well gentlemen uh thank you so much for for sharing all this i mean this is really exciting i mean the uh, let's end this on one thing just if if um either will or rick the transparency of it can you just make a discernation on the transparency of the ledger, right? Like I can tell that this was the first piece of work that Edwin put out on his next release. That's transparent to me, but I don't know the name of who bought it or like what information is transparent. What isn't uh, as far as that's concerned on the blockchain? Well, there's no name, address, and phone number on the blockchain mm-hmm. um, in that right. sense. So there's not that. But the, the transaction itself is transparent. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we know what we know what the wallet address is. We know the amount. We know the date. We know the time. We know the amount. Um, you know the to and the from. These kind of things. So those things are are transparent. Um, you know, at the at the top of your broadcast, I want to just throw something in you mentioned something about personal responsibility of taking taking responsibility the artist taking responsibility for their own career and their mm-hmm. own uh work and so forth in a lot of ways um cryptocurrency in general is taking personal responsibility from a financial standpoint um uh, from a marketing and distribution standpoint um, and, and you've probably heard the term before front running. It's a wall street term where, you know, somebody gets mm-hmm. in IPO early and they're front running the retail, uh, investors and so forth. Um, <clears throat> what's happening now. And the reason you're having these companies, Johnny come lately adopt, you know, these standards, uh, now in the form of square or, or uh, you know a Tesla, or um, you know Spotify and Audius. 
they're they're they are being front run by guys like us, you and me. So there's mm-hmm. a very small percentage of people who understand what's going on, and because they do understand that, they're able to front run these companies, get in, you know, get their leverage, get their education, get their get their feet on the ground, so to speak, um, because the, the the bar to entry is very low. It's all out there. Yeah. It's all out there. I mean, Will's a great example. It's a guy that, that took a PhD in a matter of 30 days. Um, just what's yeah. available. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it goes along with the theme of personal responsibility. We're not waiting for somebody to tell us what to do from up on high. What is this label? What is this organization? What are they going to tell us to do? What are they going to let us do? You know, that's that's not it anymore. It's, it's really a question of what do you want to do? Yeah, instead of being uh, at the mercy of gatekeepers, we're all gate makers if we choose to be. We right, set up right. a gate and walk through it ourselves. Yeah, and uh, just the efficiency that blockchain allows to. Again, no middleman on the money. Therefore, the artists get 100% of the money that's due them and without any fear of like, well, you know, the, the story with BMI and ASCAP on sync fees, right? How they're completely different from the same payouts that come from the network. Anybody making a significant amount of money in sync is a BMI writer instead of a, an ASCAP writer because they pay differently because they just changed a rule on this or that and they're able to keep your money. That kind of stuff doesn't happen in a transparent exchange like this. And it there the money's faster, right? It's immediate. Right. So there, it doesn't get hung up like in a PRO for six months while all the accounting happens and then it gets distributed. It's some so a transaction happens and the artist gets paid immediately or in the writers and the, everybody that's involved that's supposed to be paid in that smart contract gets paid. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, that is I mean, just the, that's mind boggling about how fast. Well, it goes, it goes beyond that. It goes it goes beyond that. You know, there's a there's a whole. Uh, you know, Will mentioned earlier the ICO initial coin offering, and then that was a big craze. And then after that was what's called DeFi, decentralized finance. And then after yeah. that, the NFT craze. Well, the marriage of NFT with DeFi presents some incredible opportunities because what DeFi does is it, it using smart contracts, it automates the functions of a bank, mm-hmm. creating liquidity as an example. So if you have a great story and it's compelling and you think it's going to benefit all the parties concerned from a, from a, a tangible and intangible aspect, um, any, anybody can create their coin and put it in the liquidity pool and raise you know, up money up to a certain point without getting the ire of the SEC involved. Uh, you can create liquidity for that project. And it all can be done um, you know, without hiring teams of of uh, specialists and lawyers and so forth. Hmm. That's crazy. So to wrap this up, fellas, you had mentioned at the top of the of the of the episode here that you do some consulting and stuff. Is that mainly B2B or are, do you guys have a system set up where like an indie artist could consult with you or something? Is there some business we can throw your way or are you not set up for that? I'm not sure. So I'm asking. I, w- I would say that we have. If anyone wants to get in touch with us on the consultant side, it's not purely B2B. And we have a website now, WLMGroupLLC.com. Okay. 
I would also um, selfishly plug myself too on the legal side of things if there's specifically a, a legal issue um, and and need advice on that too. I'm also you know I still have my private practice and all, and we all consult together as well when these issues interlock. But that's Lewis Law Group LLC dot com. And I'm also affiliated as of counsel with a firm out of Richmond, Virginia called Schroeder Brooks, and that's SchroederBrooks.com. And that's a boutique entertainment firm that they do all kinds of high fashion and uh, digital privacy. And and then Kirk Schroeder is a really well-known film and television lawyer. So we're all in the process of integrating knowledge about this Um and in fact, Edwin and Rick and I, and one of my clients, and Kirk Schroeder, my partner in Virginia, will be doing a CLE with the, I think the Nashville Business Council next week talking about this as well, but more with a, a lawyer-geared audience there. So you can reach us through WLMGroupLLC.com for any of the type of stuff that we were talking about today. We'll put those links in the show notes mm-hmm. and make that happen. And I assume there's a contact form on there or something on the website that they can reach out to you on there it is. And, I, and some of our email addresses are on there as well Great. okay very cool well edwin will rick this i'm so excited about this i'm so jazzed thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this i know you all are extremely busy and this was super enlightening i feel like i'm i'm a lot more clear as much as that can be right now than I was yesterday uh and i'm still completely confused by it all. <laughs> <laughs> but all right guys listen that brings us to the end of another killer climb episode we at daredevil here are available for consultation so you can reach out to us at info at daredevilproduction.com and put consultation in the subject line and we'll get something on the books we do charge for that it's an hour of my time but you know when we're talking big picture stuff like this we boil it down to, i can't help you with nfts but uh, you know anything else yeah. gonna see. we're there to help let us know this podcast exists because we want you to win guys so keep on climbing and we'll see you at the top hey thanks guys that was great achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.